0: Movies entertain. Entertainment leads to emotions. Those emotions connect us to our enjoyment of film. And that is why
1: we exist. To focus more on the emotional connection than the technical merit. Because every movie makes us feel something. Hey listeners, welcome to a new episode of Furious Feeling Film Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Aaron, and with me, ready to once again talk all things Kung Fu and Pandas, is the man who helps me find my own inner peace, my best friend and co-host, Patch. Um, <laughs> that's, that's how
0: I help find my inner peace, I so start doing that.
1: <laughs> I like it, I like it. I'm definitely not catching any raindrops anytime soon, that's for sure. Yeah,
0: that's, yeah. count me in for that
1: one. Or cannibals, for that
0: Okay, can- <laughs> <laughs> You're right, I can't even catch a cold these
1: days, which I guess is a good thing. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Well, if you weren't aware, we are now in week number two of covering the DreamWorks Animation Kung Fu Panda Trilogy. Chatting about the first film was a blast, and I expect this one to be no different. So remember, this is a spoiler-filled discussion. We will be talking about the movie in details. If you have not seen it, take the time. Go check out this entire trilogy. It's really great. All the movies are about 90 minutes long, so you can get through them pretty quickly. Good family flicks, and then you can take a listen. Before we do get started, though, we wanted to quickly say a huge thank you to one of our listeners. This week, Audie contacted us and used our premium pick option, something that I actually had forgotten existed, to be honest, which is on our website at feelandfilm.com. And Audie wanted us to talk about a specific film. And so he did that. He is having us cover A Silent Voice, which is an anime film from a couple of years ago. We will get that on the schedule soon. Probably very quickly after we're done prioritizing our panda talk. Spoiler: I do love that film very, very much. I'm extremely pumped to talk about it, and I fully expect that Patrick is going to love it as well because it is an emotional story, very much in the vein of Makoto Shinkai's work, uh, and that sort of without the sci-fi elements, but <laughs> also a very—it's just a very, very impactful story and uh, a very important one, I think. And so I'm really glad that we're going to get the opportunity to cover that soon so thank you and if you do want to learn more about those premium picks and how to tell us what you want us to cover you can do that like i said on the website at com. well to get started we're going to recap from last week this is your first time watching Kung Fu panda 2 am i correct
0: Patrick? Y- yes i've seen bits and pieces of it being watched by my son as i've been going through the house but i've never sat down and watched this one or the third one
1: okay so my first question is about expectations, which we both despise in general. And so I'm not wanting to judge the film based on them, but I am kind of curious. Did you have any expectations going into this after we watched the first one? Did you, Was there something you were expecting to see that maybe you did or didn't?
0: Well, more than anything else, I was curious as to where the story was going to go. We got a little bit of hints into Poe's lineage that uh, that was sort of poked at in the first film. I oh, was kind oh,
1: of poked. Oh,
0: was not trying to be punful. I promise that was not an attempt at a really bad pun. But if it lands, great. I'm excited about that. When I when I queued this up, I didn't really have any expectations apart from that. And so what I liked was the film. That, familiarity of the opening titles giving us a little bit of backstory kind of giving us a different kind of okay you know the story of Poe now let's give you another villain to be introduced to and that created a little bit of a a good security blanket for me I was like okay this is familiar in structure now I'm excited to see are we going to get introduced to more Dragon Warriors are we going to stick with the Furious Five and Poe and what kind of enemy are we dealing with in this regard? So I didn't really expect anything better or worse. I got exactly what I wanted, which was a really entertaining film. And it didn't disappoint the voice cast. I was a little afraid that the voice cast would change because I was like, does that sound like Jack Black? I don't think it does. And so I made sure that for this one, that we had the same voice cast. So that put me at ease because I love the voice cast from the first one. But overall, no, I didn't really have any expectations that were going to be disappointing or exciting. I was just really excited to see kind of where the story was going to go.
1: Awesome. Well, I I mean, I kind of expected that to be your answer. I just wanted to check and see. I know I had briefly mentioned that this was overall just like a complete banger of a trilogy for me. And then I kind of took some of it back last week, all in one podcast. But on this most recent watch, I definitely will spoil up front and say that this film is right on par with the second for me as far as amazing animated sequels go. I think it's up there with the best, just incredible two-pack of movies. And I still think the third one ultimately kind of takes a little bit of a step back, and you'll see what I mean. Um, much like the How to Train Your Dragon trilogy, honestly, is it feels very much akin to the trajectory of that one where the first one is really kind of lighthearted and exciting, but kind of hints at some things going on in this world that could be really serious. And then it gets kind of dark (laughs) in that second entry where a lot of animated films don't go there. And it's funny because our friend Don Shanahan from Every Movie Has a Lesson and the new podcast, Cinephile Hissy Fit, he actually commented on my review of this one on letterboxd and was like not for me he's like it's way too dark i just couldn't i don't think that it's good because it's too dark so that's something we might want to talk about when we get down to the story aspect and i'll be curious to hear what you thought and if you had an issue with that kind of the structure of the seriousness the heaviness of this plot being in a quote kids movie or family movie we should say we should say family movie because this is really for families the whole series not for little kids in particular but I wanted to kind of approach this and just go through some of the areas that stand out to me, because if we were still doing one word takeaways, mine would be progression. I think that the film is incredible in that area in all different aspects of the way that it is handling things. I think that it's top notch, as I mentioned, and I wanted to go through them kind of one by one. So the first thing I wanted to mention is the Kung Fu and the scenes. because we actually don't get a lot of that in the first film surprisingly enough for a movie called kung fu panda there's a lot of comical kung fu if you will poe kind of learning to do what he's doing and we kind of get some silliness mixed in there but it really all is training and then it boils down to that one final interaction with Tai Long in the end so there's not like a constant string of battles it's like Luke learning to be a Jedi but never fighting anything until the very end and one thing a buddy of mine Jeremy Johns had pointed out to me that I thought was really smart and made a lot of sense is how in a lot of storytelling when you get to a second entry your characters that have whatever abilities or whatever talents and skills that they've acquired in the first film, they get nerfed, for lack of a better word, or they lose those abilities. They have to take a step backwards, basically, right? We have to, we can't keep making them stronger. We have to somehow make them overcome a, a deficiency in the thing that they already had just gained. And Kung Fu Panda 2 doesn't do that, right? Poe doesn't lose the Kung Fu skills that he gained in the first. He's better. Right off the bat, there is an awesome fight scene in the music, musician's village with, you know, the wolves attacking. And so they they get a fight, like, almost instantaneously. And all through the film, it's not his kung fu that is ever the problem. He isn't completely effective when he needs to be from that regard. It's some of the mental stuff that he's dealing with, some emotional baggage that he needs to overcome and he's challenged with personally in this film. And so I I liked that about it. And I thought that in general, just the fighting in Swin Patrick Man it, it's I don't know, I just think it's so good. It's so freaking good. The specifically, the final epic battle, to me, the finale is just awesome. There is this grandiose scale to it with all these ships and Thousands of seemingly wolves coming in with Shin as their commander. It reminds me of like the orc army bearing down on Helm's Deep, and you know you have this five that are just trying to defend it against crazy odds, and and I love the cinematography and the way that the choreography and the fights is done there, and just the whole battle design, the way it plays out, the way they go to the five go to burn down Shin's kind of. Fort, and then they have to stamp it out real quick because Poe's in there. All that stuff, all the way up, leading to the very, very end of the film with the the way that they implement fireworks and the gunpowder weapon throughout this. We get that color added to it, and it just makes for a beautiful color palette, um, as well as like really exciting fight scenes. When you're talking about this battle between the modernization military versus the old hand-to-hand Traditional and I guess you'd say honorable way of doing it with kung fu. It's it's a great visual like representation of that fight that that dichotomy, I guess. And so I I thought the fight scenes in this were just just bar none better than in the first film.
0: Well, I I agree. There were definitely more of them, which would always give you a little bit of an edge as far as something being better than its predecessor. I think that the writers and the animators and the whole creative team held those cards pretty close to the chest in the first entry, because you're right. The first entry was about Poe learning Kung Fu. And we didn't get to see a lot of the Furious Five on display. And because of that, I think they doubled down on that and said, hey, look, we have an opportunity to really showcase each one of these characters. Maybe not isolate them like the Avengers, but at the very least show what a true crew up is what a true team oriented battle looks like and we got a lot of them there were probably a few too not a few too many i think i've gotten to be somewhat of a crotchety old man as i've gotten older when it comes to epic sequences and i'm like okay this is too long let's get let's move you know i think when you talk about long action sequences you've got to Pique my interest and push the story a little bit further with some good dialogue here and there. None of the battles were a problem for me. I just felt like they either seemed too frequent or they seemed a little lengthy when they happened. But they weren't bad. It's not like I was like, okay, let's just fast forward. Okay, yeah, great. You're going to win. Fine. Because they all ended really well. And they had those moments that I love, which is those small pauses of ha-ha moments, which is what a family feature needs. You get that in the Furious movies, only more on an adult humor level with some of these characters making like wisecracks. Kung Fu Panda does the same thing. And I think when you take the world that you've already created and you've expanded it with this new coalition of wolves, this new faction, those battles become different. And we're not just looking at, oh yeah, they use that same move on so and so. I mean the Karate Kid's a great example. It's a progression of Daniel Russo where he goes from the crane technique to the um oh great, now I'm I'm gonna get people mad at me because I can't remember the second thing, the uh <laughs> the back and forth, whatever it is to finally the he learns a new technique in each movie and so his character progresses. We don't get that in Kung Fu Panda. But we do get a progression in terms of the battles themselves, which I think feels more mature in terms of progressing these characters and progressing the story. Because if it was still training, we would have been like, I've already seen that. And now we get to see them in action. So for someone who hasn't seen the third movie, I'm like, okay, where are you going to go from here? And maybe that's to its detriment, is that you kind of peaked at the second one, and now we've kind of got to scale back or figure out something else to do. I would argue, Aaron, that... It's not that Poe has lost his ability to learn to do Kung Fu. I think that that emotional thing that he is battling, finding that inner peace is a deficiency. It's something that he's learning on his road to Kung Fu. But I do believe that it's a great plot point because it does give him limitations and it does force us to move into that world of where did I come from? What does this mean? And it kind of, echoes from what the first movie is exploring which is can I be something more can I change my stars am I am I meant to be a noodle man or, or am I going to be the dragon warrior whether I want to or not and I think that that progression really helped get me into the second movie because it felt believable It felt like yeah this is a natural progression for Poe he's adding a new ability but that ability was there only he can't necessarily tack on to it because he's got to go through this emotional place throughout the film which worked for me.
1: Yeah, exactly. And, and and that allows you to have more fights. Allows you to have more excitement. And the Daniel Larusso is actually I think a really good comparison because he's not that great at karate after the first film. Like that that he's still new, just like Poe is new. He has one epic move that he's able to end up, you know, successfully executing and it is the one that wins the day. Just like Poe uses the wuxi finger hold and is able to win the day despite not being the best at Kung Fu in the first film. In this one, though, he is much more ready to stand toe-to-toe, I think. And the the design of so much of the action is just it's just really exciting. For example, when the Furious Five and Poe use that sneaky... Well, there's a lot of sneaky things, but walking around in the dragon in the town is hilarious it's so much fun
0: especially i think that's end. my favorite scene i think that's my absolute favorite scene. a little little like they, nibbler a little tribute I know. To nibbler. when it goes Man, to, the to, kind of to, of to
1: the top down real briefly yeah, and it has him the, the
0: snake yeah it's I love so that. funny and then when
1: it's they really like great. eat the guy and then they're like doop 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 doop, doop and they put, put him out, out poop him out the butt and then the better <laughs> part the, the the funny part too is when the and then he goes to grab the the sheep or whatever it is to, like, talk to it, like, privately. He grabs it in the mouth, and the kids are like, Ah! They think that he's eating the sheep. Oh, it's so good. But you have that, and then you have, like, their, their stealth mode into the tower, right, where Mantis is, like, running circles around the fire so that they can't light the weapon because he's really not in the cage. It's like a little Mantis figurine in the cage that they have locked and you get to see like an actual plan from the five go into action right it's put into action they execute this predetermined action set piece that's what it is there's a lot of action set pieces that's what it feels like even the fight in the village at the very beginning is really awesome you get to see all the five involved and you get to see the five doing their special stuff you know you get crane and his like crane technique whatever he calls it but like this super amazingly strong wing blow move that he does and and it's just i love it i think it's visually extremely appealing to move from kind of fighting set piece to set piece to set piece well one of the other progression areas for me is world building we talked about this last week too and how i pointed out Ch- Ch- chorgon prison as being a great example of like we spent most of our time in i almost at the jedi temple in the temple area in the village where Poe is from and then we kind of get hints that oh hey there's there's more to this world of kung fu panda than, than the location of the story is taking place but we don't explore much of it we just get kind of hints that like it's like a, it's like a Tolkien appendices kind of thing. Like you, you, ex, you know, he's dropping nuggets, but then there's a whole other stories that could be told about why Chorgon Prison exists, and we get more of that here, and it's awesome because it starts right off the bat, right? We learn about Gongmin City and how the peacocks were the ruling class and in charge, and we learn about Shin and his banishment and how the Kung Fu Council exists, and like that's where they are in order to like protect this seat of power and we get to learn about the other villages that exist like Poe's village where he came from so presumably there's even more of these villages like that with different animal types i would assume in various places around china and i just i love that for me like the expansion of the world building was really cool um did anything stick out to you about that
0: well, everything really stood out to me in terms of the fact that we now get more and more purposefully done because you could expand this world into be like, all right, well, we got these guys over here and these guys over there. And then you could get into this whole kind of Star Wars episode one Senate where you're like, you see all these little factions of people from all over the galaxy that you know you're never going to get to meet. Good storytelling to me, Aaron is allowing us to get into this world for a few minutes. And so when they introduce Gungan City, when they introduce Poe's village, they do so with a purpose, and it has meaning at some point in the film, not just a location. Like, it really does become a supporting character, a lot like a Gotham City or a Metropolis for Batman and Superman. And so even Gungan City, like, I loved the whole montage of them traveling the Gungan city because it shows the scale of how far it is from where they are. And it gives you that expansion of just how big this world is without necessarily giving you a map that says, here's this and here's that. I mean, it did remind me a lot of middle earth where you have all of these different factions of people living independent of one another, but having the impact of this big thing happening that changes their world and it added to gary oldman's character as as shin in a way that really made his presence as a villain that much more epic than the first entry so where we had kind of like a local kind of hero villain type thing kind of an amazing spider-man you know a neighborhood fight Now we've got something more on Avengers level where we've got something that's really going to affect this whole world of China that they're living in. And we get that sense verbally and non-verbally that Kung Fu could go away. Like the history, the impact of this martial art. I was in, uh, in class last week, my Taekwondo class that was actually supposed to be the sparring part of our week. And we ended up working on some of our patterns. And the last 20 minutes, our our sensei talked about a little bit of the history of taekwondo like where he got his and how that grew and he expressed to us how important it is as a student not necessarily for testing not to get a better belt but really just in order to understand taekwondo and understand to respect it to know where you come from to know your history and so this film does a really good job at emphasizing the fact that kung fu is something it's not just a martial art it's culture and it's culture that's being threatened by this this character that wants to do more than just take over the world like it's kind of scary aaron i mean this guy if he wasn't an animal or a bird i'd probably put him in the category of a pretty pretty epic villain because he's got great motives he's got roundness to him and he adds such a level of dimension to the world that we're living in that we're not just living in one village now and the other thing that I like is the fact that we get to see those little pockets we get to see the personalities of these different villages how they came to be what they were influenced by without necessarily going through a history lesson and I think that's a tribute to the writing style the animation the use of as I said before last week the use of the different animations to talk about animation style to, to differentiate between past and present, the voiceover at the beginning, I really think that those added to helping us get into this bigger world that probably would have been difficult
1: otherwise. Absolutely. I think using, or I guess kind of calling or playing upon real China and its own history with martial arts, and its own history with something like fireworks, right? Like, that's what you're getting, like, the, the development of fireworks, and how that was used for a negative purpose, a dangerous purpose by Shin, and warped into something, is a great way to kind of take this animated world, this fantasy world, and, like, connect it, sense to the real place that you're saying you know there's a culture there there's a history there's a proudness to the things that were developed and came out of that area and middle Earth, you know it's the good fantasy world it did the same thing you know tolkien used actual places as his kind of basis in the world wars that he was a part of to build out the themes i, I think that he's a great villain regardless of the fact that he's a bird i'm sorry but like the guy has like freaking metal Claw things on his feet, and he has like these knife pieces that he slides out of his feathers. I don't know, he looks sick. He is. The villains in this movie series so far I mean, first of all, Ty Long and Ian McShane. It is an incredible choice, like we talked about. And then you somehow up the ante and you get Gary Oldman, right? And Gary Oldman plays it so well because he's able to take this freaking peacock and just keep him right on the border of completely unhinged without being unhinged all the time and he he has that great villain quality where every once in a while he flies off the handle right and you can just you, but you always know it's there like it's simmering beneath the surface and then as the story goes on, we get to learn more about him. And that's where I think it's a really cool kind of progression of villain here in the series as well. Because in the first film, we had Tai Lung, who just wanted to be the Dragon Warrior. He's mad that he wasn't the Dragon Warrior himself. In this film, we have Shen, who wanted to rule and wanted to do so through non-traditional means and dangerous means gets kicked out and in a sense they kind of both do a similar thing and so we have this character who is going about these things in this very dark way, right and of course i'm sure you and i immediately are going to compare the choices that shin made to herod in the bible where the idea is When you're given the prophecy that a white and black warrior is going to defeat you, what do you do in order to prevent said prophecy? Well, you commit genocide on the entire race of white and black beings, right? If you wipe out all the pandas, then no panda can exist to come and fulfill the prophecy. And I love stories like this where someone is essentially trying to beat out destiny. And it never never works, of course because that wouldn't be that great storytelling would be fun but the way that he goes about it is extremely dark and will you know lead into and blend into what poe is learning about himself and why but i think it's really cool how that ends up being the catalyst here for the villain and him trying to outrun his destiny whereas we also get destiny And the pursuit of it as a theme in that first film. Because people are wanting it to be their destiny to be the dragon warrior. And then it's believed to be destiny that Poe is the dragon warrior. And yet we learn that it really isn't. Like it really doesn't matter. There isn't anything there. And so it's just, I think it's a really fun exploration and, and progression to go from that in the first film into. Now the villain is the one who is kind of dealing with that same idea uh, in a different way. Was it too dark for you? That was one thing I wanted to ask, because I've seen it enough times that it really doesn't... I don't think of it in that, that way anymore, but you know, when you pull back a little bit, it, it's pretty darn heavy when you consider this guy wiped out an entire race including uh you know specifically as we see poe's parents who sacrificed themselves to save his life it's it's pretty ha- hardcore
0: yeah i think so and at the same time i think it's age appropriate for the age in which you're introducing your child to those kinds of stories i was thinking about prince of egypt you mentioned uh you mentioned herod which reminded me of pharaoh and My son watched The Prince of Egypt when he was like four or five and the way in which death was handled was very delicate. It was real. I remember specifically, and this is why Prince of Egypt is probably one of my favorite animated movies, the way in which the spirit coming through Egypt and killing babies, killing kids And you don't see kids passing out. You don't see kids exploding and being bloody and whatnot. I mean, that didn't happen, obviously. But I I remember specifically in that movie, there was a scene where the spirit passes through a house and comes out. And then all you see is an arm that just sort of lays flat and limp in the doorway. You know, like, oh my gosh. And you interpret that. Same thing happens in Kung Fu Panda, mainly during the beginning sequence where getting that backstory we know what happens without seeing it I think Camp Cretaceous is another fantastic example of being able to show you the intensity give you that intensity without showing you the gross grotesqueness of it and I agree with Don in that this is definitely darker than the first but I think the subject matter itself on the whole needed to be a little bit because you ask yourself the question where does this go from here and you could go one place or the other you can make it you can continue to make it goofy and let jack black do jack black's thing or you could massage the story a little bit up the ante and really allow this world that you're creating to feel lived in to feel mature and still have those jokes still have those beats where you can breathe you can laugh you can have Fun because we're still dealing with Poe, the big old panda. I mean, he isn't cut by any means. <laughs> but, and it's, I, I understand that it's difficult. But I think when you're navigating that as a parent, this is why I think it should be considered a family feature, not a children's feature. Because this is not one that I would necessarily, at least on first viewing, want to see, have my kid, who might be four or five, watch this by himself, like I'd want to be able to explain what's going on, because there are some concepts that, like, wait, what ha- what happened there, Dad? Well, that character decided that he wanted to get rid of all black and white creatures. Oh man, that's terrible. Did he kill them? Yes, he did. My son's at that age where it's really important for us to understand, to to teach him that death is a part of life. It's a part of living which sounds really ironic but it's the one thing that we can't escape whether by choice or not death is coming now we don't harp on that and we're not trying to scare him necessarily but as we start getting into more family features that explore that like your prince of egypt's like your kung fu panda 2 it's really important that we don't shy away from that that we don't disregard oh they they just hurt him really bad they're in the panda hospital now no they're not these are great lessons for a kid to learn about revenge about what it means to let revenge or try to make something happen that you can't control and the consequences of that and so this is one of those movies that i think really really explores that where you have shin who wants to control and he's doing so by pretty advanced means you mentioned the metal i thought that was pretty fantastic that was kind of Difficult for me to grasp at first because I'm coming from Kung Fu Panda, which is like, this is very simple. Now we're getting into more complexities, but it was still pretty fascinating because that through line became really a motivator for the battles that we see, you know, them gathering all the metal and making this thing. But I think for Shen, his need to run away from his quote destiny really was a, crutch for him and that was something that was really interesting to explore while watching this with uh with my son Carson as I said you know sometimes you want to try to control things you want the outcome to go the way you want and it just doesn't even if you think you're doing all the right things and saying all the right things and this is something that I think is really important to learn even today where you might feel like you're making the right choice but somebody's always going to disagree with you or you're always going to make somebody mad i think i remember in high school when we were part of the what Cat brotherhood i remember one of the slogans i know i'm i'm venturing off into like <laughs> Aaron's like
1: can't tell people this stuff man this is like forever <laughs> internet is forever yeah, i know
0: right but one of the one of the slogans i remember we we had kind of come up with was there will never be a point in any man's life where he's not being a jerk to at least one girl. Now, granted, this is from like 15, 16 year old guys. Maturity has kind of taken over that, but there is a little bit of truth in that and that you're not going to please everybody. And I know that gets off on a a wild tangent, but I think that's kind of what Kung Fu Panda is hinting at is that even if you think by hearing all the things in front of you, making these choices, you're always going to have some kind of consequence that's going to be, I mean, bad at some point. It could be something small or or large, but I think for the character of Shin, he thought he was like, I'm going to fix this, and it turns out that he actually made it worse. So to answer your question, I don't think it was necessarily too dark. I think it was definitely a step more into the serious tone from one to two. But I don't think it was inconsistent or tonally awkward by any means. I don't think we're like, whoa, 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 this isn't what these guys would do at all. I still think you had this fantastic balance of really great one-liners here and there. And of course, you know, skadoosh at the perfect moment in this movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think overall, I think it was a, a, a much, an appropriate progressive step forward into this new entry.
1: Yeah. I mean, well, I, yeah, I love it. I love it. And I think I also have a context that you don't because I know how it ends. I know where the story goes. And if you paid attention to the teaser at the end of this story, I think that that's probably there partially because of how heavy this is to kind of give a moment of not even just. It's definitely like a teaser to excite about what's coming next, but it provides a little bit of a moment of relief like, oh they're not all dead like yeah, maybe yeah maybe it didn't go quite as bad and quite as dark as we were fearing it. and so i think if that's going to get explored in the third film we'll talk about that more next week and kind of maybe reevaluate the whole context of the story once it's finished well let's talk about poe it's poe's story poe's movies are named after poe so poe's big issues in this. I I love the progression of his character development and his relationships. The new challenge that he has, that we talked about in the midst of saving China in this film, is to find inner peace. That's what's introduced in the beginning. Shifu is teaching him that he is going to be able, he's going to have to master that. And there's all these jokes about how long it could take and the different ways in which someone goes about figuring it out. I like that. I like that it's handled in a way that expresses it's kind of different. You know, not everybody is going to approach this in the same way. Some people are going to need to fight it out, essentially. Some people need to starve themselves. I mean, obviously we're not you know, we're proponents of like <laughs> encouraging that. But thematically speaking, each person personality is going to manifest it how it handles this in a different way. And he simultaneously is beginning to question where he came from and learn about his past and struggle with that age-old question of identity that we love to see explored he says he says it point blank because it is a kids or a family movie he says who am i what am i you know at one point he's like if am i just the dragon warrior and of course we get to see mr ping his dad struggle with the same thing and have some of the most heartbreaking moments in this entire movie, in the entire series for me, is watching him be so fearful that he's going to lose Poe or lose Poe's love in the way that he has experienced it up until now. And it ends up like making for a really great thematic crunch throughout the film, I think, because it influences Poe's relationship with Tigress. In particular, the way that she wakes up after he's in the middle of the night, he's got this nightmare and he's like training by like hitting a post or whatever, and he gets to learn about hardcore style. And she hugs him several times in this film. We get to see that development grow between them, uh, an understanding where she no longer sees him as just the bumbling idiot that happens to be in the group because of the destiny, but she sees him as a friend. and and at one point so much of a friend that she specifically says she's like i need you to stay here because i don't want my friend to get killed (laughs) i need to go protect you Uh, and the emotionality of this whole storyline it just it really gets me i'm not gonna lie especially the end when we get to see poe come home to his dad and he's gone through all of this and he's Realized, he said, like he tells shin at one place, is your story may not have had a happy beginning. That that does not make you who you are. It's who you choose to be, which I I love. I love that the thematic kind of message of this film is. No matter what has happened to this point in this moment in time, you have a choice to make every second going forward, and every second going forward is going to influence who you're going to be. And and it's going to continue to change, right? It's not forever, but in that moment, you know, Poe's like, I am Poe, and I'm going to need a hat, which is awesome. So you've got to say something cool in order for it to work. That's the message. No, but, uh, but you know, it comes down to the end, and he, he says it again multiple times. you got to let go of the past, he tells Shit. He says, the only thing that matters is what you choose to be now again. And then when he comes home, we get to see how that plays out relationally with his father. And he tells his dad, I literally get tears in my eyes every time. He says, I found out the village I was raised in, and I learned how I ended up in that radish basket. I know who I am. I'm your son. I love you, Dad. And it's like, ugh, because it's not about the fact that you weren't a panda. It's about the fact that his dad made that choice every day of who he was going to be. He was going to be a father, figure to Poe he's going to put Poe first and so Poe got to see that modeled for him even when he didn't know it was being modeled for him and I think when it comes time to learn that lesson because of that it's easier to then relate and do in my opinion so I think that it really conveys that beautifully and again it it would make for a great kind of conversation with your kid if you were watching like you're saying with your son um, you're able to kind of have that talk and point those things out. And it's displayed to us from these cutesy animated characters in a way that is much more entertaining than if you were ever trying to have that conversation in a very serious
0: manner. Yeah, I think several things that you said were, were pretty spot on. First of all, when we get that hint in the first film of Mr. Ping about to tell Poe, what we know he's going to try to tell him. And he ends up deferring it or deflecting it and saying, I know what the secret ingredient is. I'm going to tell you what the secret ingredient is to my soup. Of course, that moment is pretty great because it leads to a really poignant moment about who a person is and that it doesn't have to be defined for you. It can be nothing. But at the same time, watching this entry, it allows me to realize that maybe Mr. Payne didn't want to go there. Because once that cat was out of the bag or the panda was out of the radish basket, if you will, he would really create the opportunity potentially for Poe to want to leave. Oh, you're not my dad. And that's probably a real fear of any parent that adopts a child. There's that moment when they say, I want to know who my parents are, who my birth, because I think that happens with a lot of, kids my brother-in-law and his wife they have three bios they have three adopted at some point i think their oldest is going to get curious and what do you do as parents do you say no (laughs) no you don't do that but how do you navigate that and what we get is a character like mr ping who as you said was dedicated to being a dad and to essentially imprint his life onto pose Not to make him the world's greatest noodle man, but to make him the world's greatest son to him. And to say, look, this is who I am. This is what I know. And this is what I want to give to you. And whether it's athletic skills or martial arts skills or cooking skills, it's important that fathers give those things to their sons. And I think that's where we get that vulnerability From Mr. Ping is that he feels like, oh my gosh, I've given all of this and you may leave. And the hardest thing for me is that it would make sense because I can't give you the one thing that you need and that's biological connection. But what we see is what I think a lot of kids who are truly loved by their parents, not adopted parents, but by their parents, and that's that you can have both. You can know where you come from, but you can also know where you are. And I think in that moment when he said, I'm your son and I love you, that was probably Poe's way of saying, here's where I am now. It doesn't negate where I came from. That was part, That's part of me. I'm glad I know that. But it's not an either or. It can be a both and to me. And I thought that was really touching. I thought that I didn't necessarily see that coming. I mean, I knew that that was going to be a focal point. But I didn't necessarily see that moment being so like wow. I mean, I love that line. I love it. Uh, I'm your son and I love you. <laughs> and it was like oh man, that makes my heart feel really good. I also love Aaron the fact that we have post story being the focal point, being the a a line a line, maybe it's the b plot. Anyway, it's a significant plot. I my wife and I watched the second episode of Ted Lasso this week. And one of the things that I pulled away from it is that while I'm enjoying these first couple of episodes, I definitely feel like this is more of a ensemble focus. There's a lot of stuff going on right now in the second season, even two episodes in and Ted Lasso, who the series is named after is almost just one of the characters. He's not the focal point. Now I don't necessarily care about that at this point, if the story's good you can call it whatever you want you can call it fc richmond for all i care because I, I like the character so much but i like the fact that when we're getting a story that centers around a character like poe he's not lost in the shuffle and i think that's what makes it so great to watch him and the furious five work so well together i think that in this film they actually feel like a team even though he feels sort of independent he's he's the dragon and the furious five, but they're not like competing against each other. They are friends. And it's played so well early on when he, you hear all this commotion coming from the dojo and everybody's like, Oh, they must be training really hard. And in actuality, he's trying to stuff like 40 dumplings in his mouth and trying to close his mouth. Or is it dump? Whatever it is. I don't know. Really dumplings. But, oh yeah. Is it dumplings? And then he ends up spitting them out. And of course, Tiger's is like, she just puts her hand up. Like, I got this. That's pretty uh, sick. Yeah. That's pretty sick. Great, great my reflexes. Like, yeah. My son was like, did you see that, Dad? Let's see that again. <laughs> it's like, we're not watching the Olympics. We don't need to watch it in slow-mo, but. And pose re- like,
1: save those for me. And everybody's like, yeah. <laughs>
0: that's so Ooh. gross, right? Yeah. But I really, I I like that team up in that we do have an independence that we see with him, but not a superiority. And I think that's really important to know that he wasn't one of the Furious Five, because he's not. But he's also not superior either, which he never shows that. And of course, that leads into the rest of the cast. We've got Jean-Claude Van Damme as Master Croc. We've got Dennis Haysbert as Master Ox when they start coming into the fold. I think that's pretty phenomenal. There's that great iconic shot that looks like it should be on a wallpaper or a poster where they're all jumping and it's, it's the Furious Five, plus those two, plus Shifu, and it's just like, yes! This is, this is like Kung
1: Fu at its best. Where Slow he mo. says, I love you guys. I love you guys.
0: <laughs> and it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be Kung Fu Panda without a moment like that, but, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, I, I love the team up, I love the, the crew there, and, uh, and, and Poe, I, I love the fact that Poe is not lost in the shuffle, because it would be easy to focus on any one of these pretty interesting characters and i'm glad that he doesn't get lost that way
1: i think it also does a good job and this is a little bit teasing the future but it does a good job of i think giving us through the two films enough specifically about tigress to make you want to know more about her character because tigress is very clearly the person that should have been the director Right. Like, if there was going to be a Dragon Warrior, she is the most skilled, she is the most prepared, she is the most ready, and she is going through a progression of sorts that the other characters are not really having to deal with on a personal level with Poe. It's really her and him, and that relationship over the course of the trilogy is really beautiful, and it just continues to go, and I like the way that it is moving through here. Learning about how she grew up in this very hard, pushed to the limit kind of world, um and she's learning to kind of come down and have some compassion and be softer. And for her to sacrifice herself, to attempt to sacrifice herself for Poe, was a huge moment. Because for a minute, like the movie makes you think that she, you know, she took the cannonball to the chest, like she's done until he gets up and goes through. His amazing uh, throwing can. Oh man, I love that scene so much. It's just absolutely gorgeous as he's like flipping them around back and forth. And I love like the surprise on his face when he accomplishes something. He's almost like he can't believe that he actually did it. And his fingers are on fire. And and I'm like, dude, you're I, surrounded by water. Just like like just put your palm in, in your mouth. Why do you like, put What are you in doing? Mouth? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> and I also love the humor just throughout. I think the movies and this one in particular you know com- it just is able to build upon that first again with the humor it's so perfectly paced it-, it never just slows down the plot to be stupid or dumb it'll throw a joke in there but then it just keeps moving right along and it's that's really hard to do frankly there's two that stood out to me that I wanted to the one is at the very end mr ping poe has come home and everybody's coming into the restaurant and he says my sunshine Ch- save china special you two can save buy one dumpling get one free <laughs> and just so good. like the way that his brain like just instinctively like wants to capitalize on the poe coming home celebration and then the other one is poe in the prison when he's Having an argument with Masters Croc and Ox because they won't come out, and they're like, <laughs> "I love how they like pick up the door and like put it back at <laughs> that crack in there." But then he's like, "Fine then, stay in your prison of fear with balls made of hopelessness, and all you get there are three or three square meals of shame." And then Monkey's like, "And despair for dessert." <laughs> and it's just <laughs> like it's such a funny metaphor, but it, yeah. it it happens real quick, and then we move along. But it it gives you that moment levity in a really heavy story and a chuckle so i just think it's really good
0: oh it's good yeah i I think levity is what's really necessary for stuff for movies like this this is where i think i was thinking about thor ragnarok and how it's just a a two-hour movie full of jokes and one of the one of the issues we had with it is that even the more heightened what would be tense moments were sort of lost to comedic one-liners or slapstick kung fu panda i think is what a movie should do well in terms of providing a provocative story with some good drama intermixed with that right amount of levity that doesn't distract it doesn't feel like it's turning into slapstick because you're right when you have a character like poe the easy thing to do is just to put a script into jack black's hands and just to let him be funny the whole time what I've seen, Aaron, is that there are movies out there where Jack Black is more reserved. And those are the movies, obviously, that I enjoy. I think he's pretty fantastic in those types of movies. Specifically, I think there's one called The Big Year where he's one of three bird watchers along with uh, Owen Wilson. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. No, yeah. and uh, And Steve Martin. And I highly recommend that. But he is a more subdued Jack Black. He's not crazy obnoxious. And I don't think he's obnoxious in general. But I think Kung Fu Panda is one of those examples where he can cut loose when he needs to because the movie allows for that. But he can also kind of scale back. And you have other characters that help offset some of his comedy that make his jokes a lot better. Like that one moment where they're all in that epic dramatic shot. And of course he's going to say, I love you. Right. Because it's Poe and he'll do it. So it's not something that's out in left field. And I think that that's what adds to the enjoyment of the movie. And it's what I think keeps it a family feature. Otherwise we're talking about kind of an animated Lord of the Rings here where you're like, okay, can you get my serious face on and eat my popcorn and hopefully I won't cry four times. (laughs) Instead we have a really fun movie with some elements here that are pretty much worth talking about, especially to some of your, you know, eight, nine, 10 year old kids who are like, Hmm, did that really happen? Yeah, it did. And let's talk about it. So I think it's, You know, really, really great, uh, a great second entry.
1: Awesome. Well, I'm glad. And I'm hopeful that you will enjoy the heck out of the third one as well next week when we get a chance to talk about it. Because I love them all, that's for sure. Varying levels, of course, but they're all so good. And I hope that all the listeners will either rewatch them or watch them for the first time and introduce them to their families as well as a trigger. Hopefully we're encouraging that.
0: I think they're all on Netflix too, so if you've got a Netflix Ooh, subscription, nice. I think you can, I think you can check them all out cause is
1: that series? Cars, you know, I don't
0: know. I think it is. I'll have to check. My son was filtering through all of our streaming channels and he queued up Netflix, and I was like, oh, because I think we have it in our uh, Voodoo library as well. We have the trilogy, and so I was going to go there, but he said no, it's on Netflix. I said, okay, yeah, if you can check it out, it's there. All three of them are there, and if the series is there. Maybe it's worth checking out if you do know about the series or have watched it hit us up on social media and our facebook group and let us know how you like it in the meantime we are going to cut out of here thank you for joining us for this conversation and we will talk soon
1: hey everyone thanks again for listening if you enjoy the show we'd love to hear from you you can leave us a review on itunes or wherever you're listening these help increase visibility for the show and grow our community of listeners like you